Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. (laughs) Hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicky, and as always, I'm here with Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart in tow. I was going to say, if he doesn't say my name first, there's some serious bullshit going on. Would you have? Would you have caused trouble? I would have flipped this table. I felt that, and it is bolted That's to why, the ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you would have caused a ruckus. Yeah, you would have gone on the floor, pushed it over with your legs. Yeah, and here's the thing, Dave. I know where you live. Well, yeah. I know where you used to live because it's burnt to the ground. <laughs> Oh my god, you burnt my home Don't down. Don't worry, I got the dog out first. I'm oh, not a monster. Thank goodness. <laughs> I did not get your wife out. <laughs> I let her sleep. <laughs> she looked so peaceful. Yeah. Well, I'll get you later. <laughs> anyway, hello Dave. Well, hello this, Matt. This might now seem inappropriate now that uh, your wife's dead, but how good is it to be alive? Um, <laughs> That's really rubbing it in, mate. <laughs> We're in the middle of comedy festival. I lo- it's my favourite time. In Melbourne, I'd say maybe equal to December. I love Christmas time yeah. of year as well. But I'd say this is maybe even better than that. Yeah, the city, comedy Christmas. The city is a buzz. Oh yeah. Oh man, it's so good. 
I'm trying to get out and see some shows. I'm also trying to finish writing my show. So yeah. It's a perfect combination. <laughs> it's a wonderful wild time. <laughs> what you should do is go to people's shows yeah. and sit there, not concentrating on them. Oh, get my laptop out. Yeah. Get some work done. <laughs> then you're doing both. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, because I can't be like watching loud TikToks or anything. So it's great because they're doing their show, good yeah. for them, but it's just really in a 45, 50 minutes for me to focus. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is a bit of me time yeah. in the back row of your show. I've got headphones on. Not You're very distracting. <laughs> Front row. Front row. Front row. Afterwards, you say, thank you so much. I really enjoyed that <laughs> writing session. Yeah. I found that very productive. <laughs> it was good to work with you today. <laughs> There's I've a couple worked, of, couple of lines of you had. Um, I've taken them. They're as well. mine now. <laughs> I'm going to need you to stop saying them, or I will sue. <laughs> That's why I'm so beloved in the mm, comedy community. You are. I'm just fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dave, what is this show that we're doing? Well, this show that we're doing right now yep. is a, it's a podcast where we take it in turns to report on a topic often suggested to us by one of the listeners. Whoever's turn it is goes away, does a bit of research, brings it back to the group. The other two listen, laugh, live, love, learn along with that person. Yep. And this week, the person is Matt Stewart. Hey, how's it going? I'm a person. And the person always starts with a question. Mr. Person, do you have a question? <laughs> I do have a question. And my question is this. What does Qantas stand for? Jess, I'll give you first crack here. Queensland. Yes. Mm. And? Yes. Feel free to buzz out at Shut any up. time. <laughs> and, so it's N next. NT is next. Yep. Northern Territory? Yes. Oh, come on. <laughs> Still feel free to. What's that? So it's AS next, Jess. AS. Eh? Eh? Nope. Have you finished that word? No. No, no. Okay. Because well, you're on the right track. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were pausing in the middle of the word or not. No, I was just Because if you'd finished the word, then you were wrong. No, but- instead, of, instead of saying, um, you say, eh. Yeah, I was just um, thinking. Yeah. Um, Airplane. Air. Still hasn't finished the word technically. <laughs> it's just the way you're but it's not helpful. I know air is right. <laughs> That's all he's given me. Mm. No. It's three more letters. What? Airy. Aerial service. All right. Um, no, it's Jess's. It's with Jess. Aerial? Yes. And I'll uh, take it from here. Service. Service? I'm sorry, services. Dave. Services. Yes, Jess. Correct. <laughs> Queensland and Northern Territory yes! Aerial Services. I win! A real, <laughs> a real team effort there. A real team effort. I really thought that would have been one that you would have come up a lot with uh, trivia nights yeah. and stuff, Dave. Um, unfortunately, not. <laughs> no. So, we're doing history of Qantas. We're not doing the history of Qantas. This week's topic is the 1971 Qantas bomb heist. What? (laughs) I can't believe I've never heard of this. I've never heard of this. We've had a bomb heist on our national carrier. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Well, they always promote themselves as being the safe one. You know, never had a crash where we've lost anyone or something like that, but there was a bomb heist. They rarely put this in their <laughs> yeah, ads. They've really swept that under the rug. You know that at the moment or for the last couple of years you get on there, it's like 100 years of Qantas and then the, the seatbelt video and tells you how to put every, all the safety stuff is like going through the generations and it's yeah. like, hi, I'm a Qantas pilot from the 1960s <laughs> yeah. and then the 1970s. Oh, there's no smoking. On- yeah, yeah, they don't say that at all. They say there's no smoking on this plane and no e-cigarettes, whatever they are. Yeah, bit of fun. But That's yeah, they do not mention 
the 1970s bomb heist. <sighs> yeah, they, they should have done a scene where they're in the middle of it. I'm stressing out. <laughs> There's a bomb on this plane somewhere and we don't know where it is. <laughs> That's not the case on the plane you're on today, a, a, a Boeing 737. <laughs> <laughs> Just it did happen once back here in the seventies, and I'm pa- I'm freaking out. <laughs> oh my god! So this was suggested by Clancy Greening from Sydney in Australia, and also Richard from Nepal, uh, now living in Bathurst. So he's moved from Mount Everest to Mount Panorama, <laughs> <laughs> one iconic peak to another. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> from Tenzig Norgay to. Brocky. Brocky. <laughs> Couple of kings right there. <laughs> My uh, back tattoo agrees. <laughs> I've got Tenzing Norgay and Brocky. Oh, Peter Brocky. <laughs> All right, let us begin. On the 26th of May, 1971, around 11 a.m., the Australian Aviation Authorities received a phone call telling them that there was a bomb on Qantas Flight 755 from Sydney to London via Hong Kong. The bomb would detonate... If the plane dropped below a certain altitude. Oh, my God. It's like speed. It's speed on a plane. It's like speed on a plane. Only like 23 years before speed. Wow. It's obviously inspired speed. (laughs) Obviously inspired speed. Fuck, I love speed. What a great movie. So good. I haven't seen it in years. Oh, man. Worth a rewatch, yeah. Absolutely. Within the last six months, I've given it a a spin. Alan Ruck's in there. Alan Ruck. Oh, darn. (laughs) One of the all-time great Hollywood lines. (laughs) I love a bit of rock action. <laughs> rock and roll. Yeah. And you podcast we're gonna start. <laughs> yeah, when we've gone through all the Brandon Fraser movies, we are thinking, what's next? Is it the rock is the rock's time to shine? <laughs> yeah. Uh what the rock? <laughs> uh the so the plane had only taken off maybe about half an hour prior to this phone call. It was currently flying over the outback in the northwest of New South Wales. When asked who was calling, the reply came Call me Mr. Brown. <laughs> I mean, all the colours are available. Yeah, and you go for brown. Call me Mr. Poo. <laughs> Call me Mr. Beige. <laughs> Better to be forgettable, I guess. Yeah, than poo coloured. <laughs> <laughs> so, for half a million dollars, which is around six and a half million in today's money, he told the authorities he would reveal the bomb's exact location in the plane and explain how it could be defused, sparing the lives of 116 passengers and 12 crew members on the flight. To prove he was serious, Mr. Brown told them to look in Locker 84 at Sydney's Kingsford Smith International Airport. Police officers immediately went to inspect. According to Bridget Judd, writing for the ABC, inside the unassuming metal locker, police uncovered the unthinkable. A present. (laughs) For me? Thanks for everything that you do. (laughs) Bouquet. (laughs) Beautiful candle. And next to the candle was a bomb constructed of gelignite with an altimeter-triggered detonator. With it was a note saying... We appreciate you. We, we appreciate you, but this is a bomb. P.S. Should the plane descend below 20,000 feet, the bomb will explode. If you don't pay or if you interfere in any way, you will lose your plane and this will be repeated, the letter continued. The instruction went through to pilot Captain William Selwyn to keep the plane at 35,000 feet. They told him something was up. It's a bomb you can't go under, but they kept it pretty safe. 35,000 feet when 20,000 was the... Right, yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. But the captain doesn't know about the bomb. Uh, yeah, he knew about the bomb, 
Yeah, what, they weren't just like, hey, I don't, we don't want to freak him out. Uh, yeah, just keep it above 35,000 feet. Don't ask why. Don't worry yeah. about it. Just do not drop. If okay. you drop, everyone will die, but don't ask why. Don't think too much about it. <laughs> we don't want to freak you out. Because, I mean, pilots, just in general, very, very um, skittish people, mm. you know? Not great at like they haven't been trained in any kind of yes. um, quick thinking, decision-making, problem-solving stuff. So if you give them one little scare of mm. bad news, they are flustered. Yes. Yep. And this guy had flown planes in World War Two as well. So, right. So, yeah. like, you just can't trust him. <laughs> To not just freak the yeah. fuck out and immediately plummet under 20. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and just try to crash land immediately in outback New South Wales. Or open the, the door and jump out. Yeah. See you guys later. There's a slide. Go down the slide. We're still in the air. Down the slide. It's a, it's a fun way to die. <laughs> Wee. Then death. So they, they see this bomb. Like they're starting to take the threat seriously, and according to Judd, the authorities sprang into action. The replica bomb was defused, and the explosives were replaced with a light bulb. There was only one way to test the veracity of Mr. Brown's claims, and that was to take the duplicate to the skies. The bomb was loaded on board a, a second Boeing 707. Oh, right. What, to test the altitude thing? Exactly. Uh, and then the plane climbed to... Eight and a half thousand feet before beginning its precarious descent. When it dropped to five thousand feet, the light bulb on the altitude activator came on. Had the explosives remained inside, the aircraft would have been blown to smithereens. Oh my wow. god, he is not bullshitting. Yeah, exactly. So they're like, "All right, this is serious. This is serious, Mum." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I loved it. <laughs> According to The Age, at Brisbane Airport, full emergency procedures were adopted for the plane's arrival, but Qantas considered Sydney's emergency facility superior to Brisbane's and decided to bring the plane back to Sydney instead. Eight Navy ships sped to Botany Bay near the airport, and airport crash facilities were bolstered by 17 ambulances and 12 fire brigades. So they went into full emergency mode. Great. What are the Navy ships going to do, though? Seven in the harbour. All right, we're here now. Dave. What do we do? <laughs> Something catches on fire, right? They've got big old pumps straight into the Botany Bay. Yep. You know, the big guns on, on Navy ships? They're huge. Water yes. pistols. Fantastic. They just go. <laughs> <laughs> and they're quite close to the airport. I did not know that. Are they really close to the airport? Botany Bay? Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know when you fly over the ocean? Yeah. When you're flying into Sydney? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there you go. I rarely look out the windows. Really? Flying into Sydney has got a great view. It's beautiful. beautiful. I rarely look out the windows because when I'm flying, Dave always gets the window seat. I don't know how it works, no matter when we book. <laughs> no, it's actually- uh, and I only ever fly with Dave. <laughs> yeah, that's I often true. Get the- He's like my, you know how um, racehorses travel with a comfort pony? Yeah. <laughs> that's Dave for me. <laughs> Trying to work out which I am in that situation. You're the comfort pony, mate. Well, I comfort you by booking in the, the aisle seat and making you sit next to a stranger in the middle. <laughs> That's really comforting for Matt. <laughs> yeah. He likes being surrounded by people at all times, <laughs> being jammed in there. Yeah. We put our tallest person right in the middle. Right in the middle. Where he has no room. Next to, Often, Matt's. you find you sit next to people that have uh, no knowledge of personal space. <laughs> Plain etiquette. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> They're lifting up the armrest to try and just get even a little bit closer to you. Yeah. <laughs> that's nice. It's nice to get to know people. So there you go, Dev. That's what the Navy ships will be doing, using their Shooting big water, water pistols to put out a fire. It feels like a stupid question now, but I'm glad I asked. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got me, Navy expert. Yeah. Just 
Now, submarines. <laughs> what are they doing? They're dumb. <laughs> For crime traveller, Stephen Carragas wrote, Captain Selwyn was a jet pilot with thousands of hours flying time under his belt and an empirical knowledge of Boeing 707 cockpit operations. His role in this instance was to keep the plane in the air and delay landing for as long as possible until negotiations were made and the ransom demand was met. Yeah, basically, he's just got to, like, kill time up there. Right. and But obviously, you've got enough fuel to at least get to Hong Kong. Yes, so exactly. So, you've got a fair bit. So, they've got a, they've, he's got hours of fuel there. One of the problems is if they do end up having a crash land, you don't want to be full of fuel because that'll make... Uh, the crash more dangerous. Gotcha. So the other benefit of of hovering basically uh, is that you're also burning fuel in case you do have to crash land. Wow. So yeah, pretty full on things to be considering. Yeah, because generally you don't want to run out of fuel. Yeah, but exactly. in this case you're like, oh, let's burn up some of this fuel. <laughs> yeah. Everybody plug in your devices or something. I don't know. I'm like- <laughs> Flush the, the toilets, flush them. Turn your Game Boy back on. <laughs> Aircon up to max. <laughs> I know it's cold in here. Do uh, you want to live? <laughs> and they're all like, what? Because they do not know about the law. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The pilot is yelling, do you want to live? <laughs> As he blasts <laughs> Aircon at yes. you? Yes. Yeah. So the 49-year-old Selwyn had been flying planes since World War II. As a quick aside, his obituary tells a World War II story. Oh, no, he's, he's going to die. He's going to die. Oh, I forget that obituary gives away that. Um, so, anyway, so that tells, it tells this story in his obituary, which is a little bit of fun, about how he narrowly avoided one disaster only to create a second one. <laughs> oh, that's a bit of fun. The obituary writes, while he was based in the Mediterranean during World War II, his plane developed serious mechanical problems and he ordered the crew to bail out while he tried to land it. The crew had faith in him, though, and stayed as he made a very rough landing, skidded across the airstrip and hit another plane, wiping out the entire stock of Christmas alcohol that had been brought in for the base. Oh, no! After that, you don't want to live. No. <laughs> Not a wartime. They have so, yeah. so little to look forward to. Imagine that. All the guys are there watching the plane, cheering it on. Yeah, it's Christmas full of rain. Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> it just gets crashed into But everybody was fine. Yeah. The people, well, not the yeah, Oh, my God. Yeah, everyone's going, oh, God. It's, war's been so tough, but our one thing to look forward to is our big Christmas party. <laughs> Anyway, back to 1971. Qantas had established a direct radio link with Selwyn in the plane and were in regular contact while also working to raise the $500,000 in ransom money. Do they have a telethon? They had a telethon. Call in now. (laughs) Who'd they get in? Andrew (laughs) O'Keefe. Andrew O'Keefe. Pre-cancellation. We'll do a, yeah, do 10 (laughs) push-ups. Burjo will yodel (laughs) if you double it. Lavinia Nixon's there for some reason. Uh, Caritas wrote, a Qantas executive wrote a check for $500,000 on the Reserve Bank and a dozen senior executives began counting and bagging the bundles of $20 notes, which was the highest denomination of Australian currency at the time. Which I found that interesting. I mean, up to 20 bucks. Yeah. We didn't have a 50. We didn't have a 50. Or a hundo. No hundo back then. Or the thousand. <laughs> you know, no. you guys have seen a $1,000 note. I've not seen a $1,000. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ah, we only had 20 bucks. But 20. I suppose, like, you know, like bread cost 30 cents or something mm. and that oh, maybe less. Yeah, so there were I, one cent pieces back then as well. Yeah, so I don't, I doubt you needed anything higher than a 20 all that often. Yeah, exactly. So they're like, must that's be a, nice. A lot of note, a lot of notes to make up half a million. Now, good fucking luck getting a meal for twenty dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, maybe a bowl of chips. Maybe if a bowl lucky. of chips that you got to share with a friend. <laughs> <laughs> We're all putting in for these chips. <laughs> <laughs> and so the counting and the bundling went all afternoon. Um, and it, because they were rushing it, they they didn't really have any time to write down any of the serial numbers or whatever. To track them out, uh, unfortunately. Oops. To put in into context how much half a million was, I said it's about six and a half million in today's money, but, you know, that, that doesn't quite show you how much it actually was. You know what I mean? Like we've talked about in the past that, you know, inflation works in strange ways. Mm. But uh, to put it into context, Cara just wrote, my parents purchased a house in Sydney on the 18th of July, 1971, at a cost of $14,400. <sighs> wow. And it took them both uh, working 10 years to pay it off in full. So, ten- mm. so now mortgages are like 35 years or 40, uh, you know, much longer. Oh, yeah. And the house median house price in Sydney is, uh, I don't know. It's at least 15000 Hundreds and hundreds of thousands. It's at least <laughs> fifteen. It's at least. It's, it's, it's gone up by at least 1000 But you're not but- as close to the city as you'd like to be. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> half a million dollars now wouldn't buy... Wouldn't yeah. buy an apartment in Sydney, but back then it would have bought, you know. What about Sydney? A <laughs> suburb. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to put a down payment on Sydney, please. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much. I'm going to take, yeah, oh, Greater Sydney. No, yeah. let's go all in. Ooh, how much for Greater Sydney? <laughs> Can you throw on Newcastle? <laughs> yeah, all right, let's do it. You've got yourself a deal. <laughs> so the plan was to keep the plane in the air for as long as possible. That's the, that's the whole game plan at this stage okay. while they try and figure out what's going on. Yeah. The crew was also searching the plane. So the crew knew I the crew knew they were looking for something. They knew the size of it. I don't know if they knew it was a bomb. I'm not sure. The captain definitely did. So they're pulling The captain off- was like, all right, you get 50 bucks, whoever finds it's a treasure hunt. <laughs> all right. Yeah, it's just a fun thing that but we're doing But when you find it, flight. don't shake it or pick it up. <laughs> yeah. They must They must they, have known, yeah. right? If, if, even if they haven't said bomb- if they're telling you to search the plane and be very thorough and here's what we're looking for, you're like, okay, it's a this is a bomb. Yeah. This is a bomb. Are they able to go below and check luggage? Do you reckon? Do they have access to that? Oh, or is it, not, they they just, definitely do, are just checking, checking luggage. Just checking hand luggage and, like, you know, under the toilet and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. well, can you access the, the – I've never thought about that. If In you could, Con Air they do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Great right. point. They absolutely get under there, and they do not put the bunny back in the box, which put is a fatal bunny. mistake. I mean, he made a very clear instruction, yeah. didn't yeah. he? Put the money back in the box. It was all you have to do. I told you, put the bunny back in the box. I don't want to have to tell you again. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, now you're dead. Okay? But we can use you to write a little note. So, all's well that ends well. <laughs> I think that's a different character. A different guy. But still, still, great movie. Great movie. <laughs> You know, like the true story, it was two different characters, but I'm combining characters. That's what you have to do in storytelling sometimes, Dave. Yeah, great. Sorry, sorry, sorry about that. We're a storytelling podcast, Dave. Okay. Some characters are an amalgamation. Yep. There's yeah. one character, all played by Steve Buscemi, and man, was he good. Yeah. No, he was actually quite a bad man. <laughs> yeah, but the, you're rooting for him, which makes no sense. No. Anyway, so they're looking for a bomb. So they're looking for a bomb. Disc- and- they pull off every panel. They're ripping up carpet. They're, <laughs> they're checking light fitting, fittings. They're not telling people. They're not telling the passengers. They're going through the passenger's luggage saying, we're just looking for a package. I've lost my sandwich. 
I'm scared this might be another one of those episodes where we don't know what's going to happen right until the end. So we're going, ha, 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 but we don't know that this episode's called like the bump tragedy or something. And and then it gets to the end and we're like, oh, no. Oh, my God. Oh, how terrible. You know? Yeah, the episode's called The Day the Music in brackets, 128 people. <laughs> Close bracket, died. <laughs> and we're here like, anyway. Anyway. And then big Navy ships have got little water pistols on it. Like, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> So, yeah, but they haven't told the passengers. Yeah. But they're just pulling up they're carpet. They're literally pulling up carpet, pulling panels off, going, do you mind if I go through your bed? Sorry, guys, we're a bit behind time. Usually we uh, recarpet the plane after every flight, but, you know, we're going to try and make up time in Hong Kong. So, <laughs> so Dave, all this is going on, right? You're the pilot. You're, mm. You've got to tell the passengers to remain calm, nothing to worry about. What, what are you saying? Good evening, uh, passengers. Uh, this is your uh, captain, uh, Mr. What was his name again? Selwyn. Uh, captain Selwyn here on the flight deck. Uh, very good evening to you. Uh, we're just flying currently at 35,000 feet and uh, that's about 15,000 feet higher than we need to technically be right now. But uh, don't worry about that. Everything is absolutely fine <laughs> up here. Uh, Obviously, uh, the cabin crew uh, are coming through looking for something, uh, pulling up carpet, uh, pulling off panels, uh, just let them go through your bag, nothing uh, to worry about. So, uh, just uh, cabin uh, prepare, uh, cross-check doors for landing, and uh, thank you so much. Why uh, are we back in Sydney? Why Aren't we going to Hong Kong? Where's my snack? Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain uh, speaking. There's been a few questions uh, post uh, but I can hear you. There is a microphone that I can hear you for some reason, and uh, I've decided to uh, ignore you from now. And uh, have a great. Uh, I'll check in with you. I'm currently uh, looking at eight sixteen p.m. Uh, the weather is a cool and balmy nineteen degrees. He's losing it. Cool and balmy. I have to go. I'm just uh, currently strapping on a parachute. Uh, <laughs> See what I mean? They're so easily frazzled. Yeah, so frazzled. <laughs> yeah. So you imagine that. And some of the passengers, you know, must be twigging to something. Totally, yeah. But maybe, like, maybe you weren't as used to air travel back then. I feel like now because we're on planes a lot. <laughs> yeah, maybe they always pull the carpet up. Yeah, I don't know. like you know when you when something's new and, and unfamiliar, and you're like, well, maybe that's just how it is. I don't know. It seems odd, but what would I know? But now that we're on planes a lot. I think you would pretty quickly twig that something was out of routine, mm. and you'd be like, "What the fuck? They're supposed to bring around my moist toilette, and they're <laughs> ripping up it? carpet instead." Where is it? Hmm? They, uh, when they did the U-turn and headed back for Sydney, uh, they were told the passengers were told it was a technical fault. Right. So yeah, sort of a- that's not that much of a lie. Technically, not yeah. a lie. There yeah. is a fault with the plane in that it has a bomb on board. <laughs> I never lied. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just didn't tell you everything. <laughs> So, unbeknownst to them, they were living on borrowed time. The plane was slowly running out of fuel as it circled above Sydney. But uh, as I said, there was some benefit to it. If they did have to crash land, then it wouldn't explode quite as bad with less fuel. (laughs) Excellent. After hours in the air and only around an hour's worth of fuel left, Qantas gave in to Mr. Brown's demands. He'd been calling back every hour on the hour, giving him a little bit more information, but always withholding some. So, they're like... Slightly in the dark. Mm. Uh, and then according to Judd, at about 5.30pm, Qantas Deputy General Manager Philip Housen took the call. It took less than 10 minutes for Mr. Brown to detail the terms and conditions of the drop. A yellow van would pull up outside Qantas House in Chifley Square in the city at 5.45pm. So, you know, only 15 minutes later. 
the driver would identify himself by shaking his keys out the window. <laughs> Yoo-hoo! <laughs> I saw that the Qantas guy was interviewed later on, and he's like, I, I don't know if he thought there'd be a lot of yellow vans <laughs> rocking up outside the thing at the time. Probably didn't need this extra sign, but, yeah, you know. But okay. He was keen on the dangling of the keys. I think, you, I mean, you've got to do something like that just in case, because if you get cocky and think how many yellow vans are going to be up, that's when three yellow vans yes. are appearing that day, You're you like, know? Yeah. You start to sweat. Somebody else has your money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the other thing he said was the getaway vehicle was not to be followed. Okay. Any deviation from the plan would end in irreversible catastrophe, he warned. Captain R.J. Ritchie, a Qantas general manager, made the rendezvous to deliver the ransom as Mr. Brown had instructed. So he, he asked for a captain? Yeah, he well, he asked for this, the, one of the um, general managers of Qantas, this guy by name. and um, mm, Suspicious. It was interesting because uh, he was calling and wanting to talk to, I think it was uh, uh, Housen. And someone had to pretend to be Housen for a lot of the calls because he wasn't in at the time. He's like, yes, uh, this is Housen. This is he. So he just had to keep doing those calls, pretend <laughs> to be Housen. But they also, because he had all these specific, Mr. Brown had these specific requests. He was asking for people by name. They're like, we can't risk putting a, an undercover cop in the position pretending to be yeah. Richie because if he knows him by face, then it, it might yeah. muck it all up. So, But Richie met the van. The dangle out the window happened <laughs> and he pushed the two suitcases full of $20 bills, half a million bucks, into the Volkswagen combi van. Oh, combi van. You love the combi van. I love them, but also quite specific. Yeah, yeah. According to Richard Wood, writing for Nine News, although the bomber warned against police tailing the vehicle, detectives planned to intercept the van. Oh. The operation centred on four unmarked cars containing officers who would pounce on the vehicle on the signal given by other police inside Qantas House. You didn't say you couldn't interfere. No, that's right. Intercept. You ne- said don't follow me. Don't know following, but you didn't say intercepting. So if we intercept you, you are not allowed to set that bomb off because we didn't do anything wrong. Come on, those were your terms and conditions. Yeah. You're following your rules. So Richie coming down from, you know, the Qantas head offices, the there were police up there as well who were like, all right, Richie's going down to do the drop. The cop's... Uh, took another elevator to go down to signal the undercover cop cars. But for an unknown reason, the signal was never received by the police who were waiting. So the driver of the combi van made it away with half a million dollars without being followed. Oh, my gosh. So they're just going, we'll wait. We'll wait. Yeah. One story, and this sounds like it's the most common rumor is that the police officers who were meant to signal the drivers got stuck in the elevator because someone had pushed all the buttons. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like some kid had pranked him. So they're like, come on, come on. <laughs> it's so good. And do we think that it had anything to do with the bomb plot? Like is like to slow him down? Is like someone gone in there and pushed all the buttons? I don't think so. <laughs> Just picked the wrong lift that day, boys. So uh, Captain Richie <laughs> had a description of the driver, though. Uh, it was a man in a wig, oh. fake mustache and glasses. Okay. Right. All helpful. Although there was there's other descriptions of a fake beard, but I think they're using mustache interchangeably there. But I've also seen a mock up of the guy with a mustache and one with a beard as well. <laughs> so I'm like, what what's going on? He had a fake mustache and a real beard or a real beard <laughs> with a fake mustache. 
I'm not sure. Uh, the police commissioner, Norman Allen, later vaguely conceded that, quote, it was a very well laid plan. Unfortunately, the plan didn't go the way in which it was designed and that the van could not be kept under surveillance all the way to the spot when it was abandoned. So, so it was a great plan, except for the bit when we lost the van. <laughs> yeah, that's like, you're not saying anything, Norman. We had it. Honestly, it was one of the best plans. You should have seen this plan. What oh, plan. my God. It was such a great it plan. It was our van plan. <laughs> then we had to abandon. And honestly, if I can be honest, my handwriting looked great it on was this fantastic plan. fantastic. You know, handwriting. more often than not, I don't like my handwriting. But on this day, I was like, that's a good looking plan. And my it. handwriting is really carrying it. Now, we didn't stick to the plan. No. But that's. Don't hold that against the plan itself. But we itself. made a great plan. The plan itself was fantastic. Exactly. And sometimes just the dopamine hit of making a plan mm. is satisfying enough. Yeah. Made the plan, tick. tick. That was the first step in the plan. <laughs> yeah. And that feels good. That feels good. Unfortunately, we didn't get to tick anything else off. Other than our bosses. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, the Qantas, uh, the Qantas bosses, one of the cops came back up and was like, they got away. We, we lost them. And apparently the Qantas bosses were like, what the fuck are we dealing with here? They were baffled. I, I guess that's I got, fair. I got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> the good news, on the way back up, no one pushed all the buttons. So it was really quick. <laughs> yeah. The bad news is we lost. <laughs> so what ha- whatever happened, whatever didn't work, Mr. Brown got away with his money and the authorities were left waiting on instructions uh, for the location of the bomb. They're like, well, he's got his money. Hopefully, he'll now come up with his end of the bargain. We can trust this guy. (laughs) According to Carriages, the van was discovered 15 minutes later, so quickly after. It was parked at the corner of George and Bathurst Streets, opposite the Regent Theatre in the heart of the city. Oh, Bathurst. (gasps) Is it connected? (laughs) A technician had noticed a mustard-coloured van being driven erratically. The traffic lights at the intersection of George and Bathurst Streets went to Amber as the driver of the van shot across them, changing lanes abruptly and cutting off a taxi driver. When you're getting away with half a million dollars, it's best to just drive nice and slow, keep it casual, don't draw any attention, yes. he's cutting cars off, yeah. screeching to a halt at the other side of the intersection, and then he jumped out of the van carrying two blue suitcases. He then walked around the corner into Bathurst Street and headed off on foot in the direction of Hyde Park. That's what the technician had witnessed. Well, this technician's paying a lot of attention. I and know. not doing a lot of technicianing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get back to fucking work. <laughs> You're staring. Are you staring out a window or something? Yeah. What's your job here? What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, Come on. I'm paying you for this. And you're just what? You're just people watching? Yeah. yeah mind your own business, mate. Bloody and your hell. business is my business. So get back okay, to work. Back to work. That's why I'm a great boss. Yeah. <laughs> so the drop happened at. 5.45, and then at 6.20, Mr. Brown called back saying, quote, you can relax. There is no bomb aboard the plane. No. You can land her safely. You son of a bitch. So he pulled all this off. It was just a bluff. No way. And he got half a million dollars for his troubles. Whoa. Would there be part of you that was like, oh, is it actually a bluff? Oh, if you're the captain as you're coming into yeah, land. Yeah, you'd still you'd be. You'd be at 21,000 feet going, okay, here we go, here we go. Yeah, totally. Oh, man. But um, how messed up would it be to make to blow them up anyway? Yeah. Pretty messed up, I would say. I would. I, well, yeah, I'd I agree. Say, say five or six out of ten messed up. Mm. 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 The following day, the Age newspaper ran a story titled $500,000 ransom on jet. Qantas pays in midair bomb hoax. I love that sort of stuff. Gosh, yeah. They wrote a headline so well back then. Yeah. yeah. No pun required. I mean, what would it be now, Jess? 
You're very. You did journalism. Who's the boss of Qantas? Ellen Joyce. Ellen <laughs> Joyce. Yeah. <laughs> it's it gonna have something to do with Joyce. Yeah. Rejoice. Well, he had. He had. Well, he had no choice but to pay up. <laughs> Or something. Or you'll never believe how close to being blown to smithereens this Qantas flight came. <laughs> That's the online version. Click here. Yeah. Um, the the main the main headline would be um, Alan Joyce pays terrorist five hundred thousand dollars for nothing. <laughs> you know? Dot dot dot. Still makes record profit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you pay. The tab. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That would be about him still, yeah. which is just a drop in the ocean exactly. of his annual salary. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Only 130th of his annual salary. But in this cost of living crisis, many say insensitive. I mean, we're making fun of these headlines, but I agree. That's one of the few times yeah. where <laughs> them being <laughs> sensationalists, I'm like, yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, it probably wouldn't be as hard this time to find $500,000. Just probably Alan Joyce's his wallet. wallet. <laughs> Just go to his secretary. He's in a meeting, but he has left his wallet with me. Um, I'll have a look. I'll have a look. Yep. Yeah, we've got. I've got six hundred. You want six hundred? Just a five. All right. All in twenties. Great. <laughs> his wallet is a briefcase. I'll read some of this article uh, to you. Qantas last night paid five hundred thousand dollars ransom to a man who threatened to blow up a Hong Kong bound airliner with one hundred twenty eight people on board. Police throughout Australia are hunting for a man who called himself Mister Brown when he staged the gigantic bomb hoax against Australia's overseas airline. The plane touched down safely at six forty five p.m. to a massive greeting by pressmen and onlookers. A Qantas spokesman said, "We had to treat it as a serious matter. Proceed on the assumption that the threat was real." We thought it might have been a hoax, but we were not prepared to take the risk. He described the ransom as brilliantly conceived and cleverly executed. I like how they're like, we knew it was probably a hoax. Yeah, yeah, So, but we thought, just in case, I better guess be- we better be sure. Yeah. But I love also like praising him. Oh, it was such a great plan. Brilliant. And he sounded so hot. Yeah. His voice is beautiful. Oh, my God. That man should read Audible books. <laughs> I, yeah, I would have loved it, the Qantas... Insider also had a little jab at the police. Brilliant plan and well executed, which is an also an important thing to do, <laughs> isn't it? Policeman standing next like, to me. Our plan looked great, though. <laughs> I drew pictures. It was actually sick. So the hunt for Mr. Brown was on. <laughs> Sounds like a, a bit of a, a euphemism for going to the bathroom. Absolutely. Sorry, off the hunt for Mr. Brown. <laughs> Okay. Hopefully a couple of laxatives will help me in my hunt. <laughs> I'm back to- For Mr. Brown, <laughs> which is poop. <laughs> Out of my ass. <laughs> you getting picking up what I'm putting down? Or what I'm Can trying I go to put now? down? <laughs> what I'm trying to put down. The police were determined to leave no stone unturned. And I mean after what they've done so far, I think you can you gotta trust the police that they're gonna do the job right. I know what they're doing. Old mate, police commissioner Norman Allen said, they are checking a thousand and one leads. Our top men honestly can't leave it alone. They won't put down the book. The whole case, despite the criminal aspect, is fascinating. It thrills every one of them and they simply won't rest. Oh they refuse to sleep. I come in there and I say, boys, 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 it's after midnight, you need some rest. And they say, we won't, we refuse. They've gone mad. <laughs> Honestly, at this point, they're not being very productive, yeah. but they have lost their minds. They're they're absolutely, nothing makes sense anymore. <laughs> they, they accuse me of being Mr. Brown. They stink. <laughs> 
He also said, sooner or later, the man is going to crack under the strain of what he has done and what to do with half a million dollars. Oh, there's so many options. <laughs> oh, man. He'll crack. It's, oh, my God. It's just too hard having all this money. He'll give himself away to someone or make somebody just that little bit suspicious. He may buy a car, new clothes, flashes wealth just a little to catch someone's eye. That's just basically saying, hey, have you noticed anyone buying new clothes? Yeah. Report them to the police. It could be our man. Mm. And that did happen. Anyone who was spending money, they got so many leads and they, you know, they followed them all up. Um, but yeah, they did not get anywhere. Oh dear. Uh, but I also like that he's basically giving him, he's sort of taunting him a bit, but also being mm. like, if you're clever, you wouldn't spend too much money. You'd lay low. Yeah. So if he hears that, he'd be like, oh, cheers for the tip. Yeah. So you're looking out for people who are spending? Great. I'll just lay low for a little bit. Yeah. Which is, you know, we've done a few of these heist stories where people get caught. It's like, if you're ever going to do a heist, anyone out there, lay low for a lay bit. Lay low. And know the statute of limitations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and know your own limitations. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> if you can't go window shopping without buying, don't, don't go, go window, window shopping. shopping. Yes. <laughs> don't go to the supermarket when hungry. Oh, my yes. God. Okay. Fell for that the other day. <laughs> I should know better, and I do know better, but I instead of buying eggs, which was the thing I was asked to buy, I bought a packet of lollies that are, <laughs> are flavoured like um, Kirk's Lemonade. <laughs> So there's like Kirk's and then the, like the lemonade and then there's raspberry and pasito. And so I was like, oh, a, yum. You had a well-written plan there. <laughs> Buy eggs. <laughs> I did not execute it. You really need to apply for the New South Wales Police Force. <laughs> we still don't have eggs. <laughs> but those lollies are pretty fun. Is it, is it because you hate eggs? You do hate eggs. I do hate eggs. I wasn't buying them for me. I was, you know, I was trying to be nice. Well, really? failing. I failed. Nice. I failed. <laughs> Tried and failed. But I got lollies. <laughs> uh, to encourage information, 50 grand was offered as a reward for any that led to his capture. Again, that's going to buy you a house. Yeah. That could buy you two houses. Yeah, that's that could two, buy you bi- two mansion houses <laughs> two back then. So, so they're getting a lot of leads. People are going, that's, they're being encouraged basically to go, Dob on your friends are having a bit of a shop. Because 50 grand now would be fantastic. Nobody nobody would be like, ugh, no thank. Well, billionaires maybe, but um, but it's Alan gonna, Joyce. Alan Joyce would say, <laughs> no thank you, I sneeze more than $50,000. <laughs> I would I would be thrilled to win $50,000. Would I'd, you? I'd be so... <laughs> I like a little I'm- bit about me. Let's go around the room and say our reaction to winning 50 grand cash. I've, I'm on the record as thrilled, you guys. <laughs> Indifferent from Dave, yeah. Matt? I would, uh, I don't know, I'd probably lose my mind. Would you? I'd probably take off my jumper and twirl it around. <laughs> would you? Woo, 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 woo. I, would, I would argue that would be similar to thrilled. Well, that, Elated, maybe? But that's what the police commissioner thinks this guy's going to do. Sooner or later, he's going to crack. <laughs> and he's going to take his yeah. T-shirt off and start wooing it around his head. And that's when we'll pounce. But back then, 50 grand is, yeah, that's life-changing money. They end up accidentally arresting Kevin Sheedy after a win. <laughs> so, and it, yeah, that back then it's like a, a ridiculous amount of money. That's yeah, that's that's you can comfortably just buy a house and not take ten years to pay it off. You can just have a house. But I guess to them, they're like, if if it leads to his arrest, we'll get they've recovered more oh, than that back. I and get also it. they'll it's get wild. their dignity back after the lift incident. Yeah, <laughs> and so they've got a lot of work to do to get that back. <laughs> Uh, but the, the, the boys have gone crazy. You know what they do now, though? They are too scared to take the lift because it happened again. They just take the stairs. Yeah. They do 50 flights. One of them jumped out the window. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm it's not going in there again. <laughs> <laughs> they jumped out the window. 
the fastest way down. <laughs> he did not make it. That's when firemen invented those poles. <laughs> People kept pressing all the buttons. People kept dying. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. <laughs> hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So police put together a life-size mannequin based on the descriptions given by Captain Richie, who did the cash drop. As well as the technician who saw the driver abandon the getaway car. And I've got to show it to you because it is so funny. <laughs> oh, my God. Are they, are they showing this at like a press conference and stuff yeah. like that? Do you know this man? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm so excited to see oh, me it. Me too. <laughs> okay, that's way better than I thought. I was imagining like a paper plate for a face. Okay, no. <laughs> so at least it does kind of look it's like just, a person. It's just a shop mannequin though. Like yeah. that has not been, the face has not been modified in any way. It's, it's so 70s, isn't it? Yeah, he's got it's a moustache, so some horn rim glasses, a, a helmet haircut. It looks like someone who works uh, at like a David Jones or something. Yeah. Hi, can I show you around? Are you looking for a, a new shirt? <laughs> a cravat? Possibly a tie, a cravat. <laughs> to me, it just looks like they've gone straight to Kmart. Gone. Are you using that mannequin in the window? No, no, we'll take it with the clothes on. <laughs> and then put a wig on it. <laughs> so good. We'll, of course, be posting a photo of this on the social media this week. So you can enjoy this mannequin. And they've all, I mean, they've also said it was a fake mustache. So why would that help anyone now, recognize imagine him? imagine a man that looks like this, but take away the mustache. <laughs> we cannot do that we can't for do that you. Right now. You have to do it with we the ha- power we have st- of imagination. We've stuck it on with some very hardcore glue. <laughs> and I cannot find <laughs> the glue dissolver. It will not be getting off. <laughs> uh, according to Matthew Schultz and Alicia Aitken writing for The Herald Sun, from analysis of Mr. Brown's voice from his phone calls, so they had tape of the phone calls, he was probably a recent English migrant. They tried to match that information with those people with a criminal record in Britain. According to Carriages, the fact that no one from organised crime elements in Sydney or Melbourne had come forward to their police contacts indicated to authorities that Mr Brown and his gang were not connected to Australian criminals. 
For this reason, senior detectives were working closely with Scotland Yard in Britain, Interpol in France, and the FBI in the United States. And all three agencies were feeding back information to Australian police. Isn't that interesting? They're like, just because no criminals were coming forward. That yeah. It's like, how how leaky is our criminal society? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently they're real gossips. <laughs> yeah. uh, police even visited Hong Kong on the tip that Australian $20 notes were circulating there. But this trip proved to be a dead end. I watched but the, a beautiful holiday. A beautiful holiday. We had a great time. Obviously, we had to stay in the other four seasons. <laughs> For penthouse. a week. It seems a bit like the police, uh, when they arrived back, it was one of the senior guys. I don't know if it was Norman, but uh, one of them came back and was interviewed at the airport. <laughs> He's got a great big tan. And the, yeah. <laughs> He's wearing a new tailored suit. He looks very relaxed. He's holding a coconut drink. He looks very much like the mannequin I just showed you. And the the journalist is like, so uh, did anything turn up? Would you say it was a successful trip? And he's like, um, no, would not say. It was, it was, you could see him like ticking over his head. How do I spin this? How do I yeah, spin yeah. this? How can like- I answer this question without looking like a fool? This is probably before um, like police and stuff went through media training, you know? Um, no. <laughs> no, absolute waste of taxpayer money, actually. <laughs> and as the months passed, all the leads they followed seemed to be dead ends. They needed a break. Oh. And soon they got one. Oh. <gasps> we ask and you shall receive. It's the secret. Okay. I would like a milkshake. <laughs> well, just wait a couple of hours. What do you mean? You're going to give me a milkshake? Yeah, I'm going to have to, one, learn how to make a milkshake. Two, buy the ingredients. Three, Return the ingredients. I tell you what. Return the ingredients. <laughs> uh, I've, I've got, changed my mind. I've gone off this idea. <laughs> I've lost confidence. <laughs> Honestly, the YouTube video made it look quite complicated. <laughs> I'm just going to consume each of the ingredients individually <laughs> and hope one. my stomach does yeah. the work. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and I'll, just, I'll just shake around. A little, I'll just wiggle yeah. a bit. Go to the trampoline centre. <laughs> <laughs> Full so, of milk. So they got a break. They got a break. They received a tip off about a man all of a sudden spending large sums of money. Oh, mate, come on. We told you not to do that. We told you. Doesn't it seem very silly? Yes. A 28-year-old barman named Raymond James Pointing was a man of modest means. Unfortunately for him, his local service station attendant paid close attention to the cars his customers were driving. So when Pointing pulled up in a new E-Type Jaguar, he caught the attendant's attention. And according to Judd, though most would have the sense to lay low after pulling off one of Australia's most brazen heists, Pointing was not most men. Okay. And when he returned some weeks later in yet another expensive car... <laughs> no! He was changing cars every few weeks. I think this one was a, 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 a Ford GT. It's like a beautiful automobile. Wow. Oh, damn. People grew suspicious of his stories of good fortune. So he's going, oh, yeah, just uh, just coming to some money. We've got a, one on big on a scratchy, that sort of stuff. Right, right. I bought this Ford GT from Brocky. And so the service station attendant tipped off the police to this free spending man. At first, I'm like, who's this attendant dobbing on? Yeah, spending money. But then I was like, oh, if he was, if there was 50 grand in it, then, you know. Oh, mate. okay. Yeah. So yeah. I forgot about that for a second as well. I was like, all right, mate, you're watching everyone pretty closely here. He's got a couple of new cars. Yeah. But, you know. But before this, he had no real reason to be able to afford that. Yeah. Yeah. So his name's Raymond James Pointing. You know, he's a barman, so you'd expect, you know, he could buy one new car. But it's, I, I hate how they've made Australia this place where everyone's like suspicious of everyone's good. Fortune. Mm. Oh, oh, good. Yeah, got a new car, do you? Huh. Hmm. 
Where'd that come from? I feel like it's only um, going to look very judgmental if he didn't do the heist. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that must have happened to so many people. Yeah. For sure, yeah. And like some, so someone's dobbed me in, the police are all of a sudden around your place going, how'd you afford that new car? I'm allowed, this is a free country, I'm allowed to buy a freaking car. Yeah, it's not a free car. I so, paid for it. Sorry, I'm getting a bit defensive there. It's not because I did any heisting or <laughs> anything like that. So anyway, this pointing guy is put under surveillance by the detectives of the consorting squad. And as it turned out, this tip-off was what would bring down the entire operation. <laughs> okay, so maybe we should judge this uh, rat of a garage attendant. <laughs> I hope he's, you know, lived comfortably in his mansion. Yeah, yeah the but then the life. next week when he gets the $50,000 reward, people <laughs> yeah, are like, where did you get, you get that money <laughs> from? <laughs> eh? The cycle. Mm. Still going today. Uh, toxic. The detectives also tailed an associate of pointing, one Peter Macari. Macari was stopped in his brand new <laughs> Chevrolet Camaro. Well, if that checks out. His name's Macari. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I'm driving a Macari. <laughs> yeah. All right, carry on. But he wasn't. Unfort- <laughs> that would only make sense if it was a recent Italian immigrant. But he was a recent English immigrant. And I don't know if you remember mm. the voice. Mm. Checking thing. Yeah. <laughs> the voice. Sorry to get technical. They like, sounds English. Mm. See the- they send that, they got people at a university to check that voice. Wow. And, and, and they came back saying, <laughs> reckon he's English. Only really intelligent people can be in universities. Yeah. Like some of the best of the best. Oh, yeah. No, that, that is definitely probably English. Yeah. <laughs> I but also, did Australians- The language. Yeah, did Australians yeah, yeah. Not just- sure about the accent. <laughs> That's what the, the report was. Mr. Brown was speaking what I believe to be English. <laughs> a few grammar mistakes in there, obviously. Uh, so, he was found to be living in a newly purchased penthouse in Bondi- Oh, come with on. With panoramic views of the sea. For the new pad, he paid 45 grand in cash. A Bondi penthouse for 45 grand. Isn't that amazing? With panoramic views of the water- Wow. But so the station still, attendant could now be living in one of those. That's still triple the amount of like a, the average yes. housing back then. So that would have seemed like so much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Now it's like a year's wage. <laughs> Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> On the 4th of August 1971, Macari and Pointing were arrested. Just over two months after they pulled off the audacious robbery. Oh, they did pull it off. Pointing reportedly offered very little resistance before admitting he played a role in the plot. <laughs> All right, I did it. He also fingered Peter Macari. What? <laughs> <laughs> did that have anything to do with the bust? Sorry about that uh, little side note there. <laughs> no, he fingered Peter Macari as the brains of the operation, the so-called Mr. Brown. Wow. He said Macari is Brownie. <laughs> yeah. And they said, stop trying to do puns. Stop it. You're terrible at <laughs> Just this. Just tell us the truth, what happened. So, who was this Peter Macari, <laughs> a.k.a. Mr. Brown? According to Judd, Peter Macari was an English migrant who had arrived in Australia two years earlier on a false passport after skipping bail in Britain on an indecent assault charge. He was no stranger to the wrong side of the law, but no one could have predicted the otherwise unremarkable man. <laughs> that, uh, such brutal. That's oh, you'd yeah. br- brutal. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. So brutal. That is brutal. brutal. You'd be in prison reading that about you going, oh, come on. Yeah. Unremarkable? Come on. So no one could have predicted the otherwise unremarkable man would assume the moniker that would spark a cross-continental investigation. The most remarkable moniker of all, Mr. Brown. <laughs> Macari's transition into Australian life was far from smooth sailing. After opening a small factory at Brookvale in Sydney, which produced fiberglass boats, 
he was reported to have lost half his life savings and began to travel. It was on this jaunt across the country that his grand scheme was set into motion. Inside the van that Macari had been living in, in Townsville, he watched the 1966 television thriller film Doomsday Flight on a small television set. A quick fun fact about 1966. Oh! It's the... Uh, yeah, the Saints won their one and only VFL AFL Premiership. Happy 150th birthday to the Saints, if they are listening. Happy birthday, boys. I've been told um, a few listeners have become Saints members from inter- overseas. I'm like, that is so sick. Just because of, of this. You. No, no pa- Well, that's not what they said. I think you're doing God's work. That's, you're spreading the word. Do you have like a stand or something named after you where they train? Should do. I think you should. You should or have at least like a chair. A, there there is. A, my pops got it. We, uh, the family, um, got a chair named after him. They could, you know, buy a chair. That's nice. So there's a chair at Morabin with uh, pop's name. Oh, Mick, that's Mick Stewart. That's beautiful. That's yeah. very nice. You should at least have like a promo code that you put in, and when people <laughs> sign up and use your code, like you get. A scarf or something, you know? <laughs> or you get you get fifty bucks. Yeah, I'd take fifty over the scarf. Yeah, that was like seven scarves. All right, we'll enjoy your cold neck. <laughs> Idiot. Yeah, check a cold neck over here. <laughs> Don't come crawling back to me. Good luck keeping yourself warm with lots of fifty dollar notes. You fucking idiot. They could all be scarves. You fucked it. How much do your scarves cost? 20 bucks. <laughs> uh, so, he's seen this film, right? What's it called again? Doomsday Flight. Love it. According to IMDb, uh, which is like an internet movie database sort of online. Right, okay. Um, this is the sop- synopsis of the film. <laughs> a bomb is planted on board an aeroplane with an altitude-sensitive trigger. It will explode when the plane descends through the altitude of 5,000 feet unless the ransom demanded is paid. So he just fully ripped off this TV movie. Oh Technically, God. he's made it 20000 so <laughs> yeah. it's not infringement. Yes, that's right. <laughs> he just watched a movie he and watched gone. He watched a movie. <laughs> it's like watching Die Hard and going, huh, I could crash that Christmas party and get a lot of money out of the Nakatomi <laughs> company. <laughs> apparently, when he watched the film, I don't know how someone, apparently someone witnessed him there. So someone has like gone, I was there watching it with him and apparently said, hmm, that would be a good way to make money. <laughs> <laughs> and he went, you're right. So, it's not even his idea. Someone else has said, this is a good idea. And he's no, gone, apparently he said that. But oh, someone yeah. was there who later said, yeah, I was there when he said, I heard him say that. What an idiot. Also, according to IMDb, this early made-for-TV movie only received one NBC network airing as opposed to the usual two. The network shied away as it was thought that it was too detailed and could serve as a textbook for aeroplane terrorism. Whoa. So, that, there was pressure in America to not air it again. Uh, obviously, that pressure was didn't come in Australia because they were replaying it five years later. Um, according to Judd, director Rod Serling would later lament having made the film, which authorities believe inspired three separate airline extortion plots, saying he had done a vast disservice to airlines. Wow. According to Carriages, the film aired in Canada in July 1971. A week later, a man called to say a bomb was aboard a flight. Once again, there was a warning not to descend below 5,000 feet. The plane, travelling from Toronto to London, was diverted to land at Denver, Colorado Airport, which sat at an elevation of 5,300 feet. Oh, God, that's good. is that? That is so good. Get the fuck out. That is so good. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, oh, man, that is fucking. You'd feel kind of smug about that, I reckon. We yeah. need to build a Mount Kosciuszko airport. Yeah. What if you just you had landed on Mount Kosciuszko? That's so clever. Yeah. 
Yeah, you could land a big old plane uh, on I Mount mean, Kosciuszko. our police couldn't make it down an elevator. <laughs> they weren't thinking of... And also, Kosciuszko is not 20,000 feet, but it could be oh. if we keep stacking it up. Yes. Donate your rubbish, yes. please. <laughs> Smiggins holes for the Winter Olympics. Uh so, in this case, it also turned out there was no bomb. So, it was a very similar plot. Wow. After the Qantas hoax, the director, Serling, said, I didn't realise there were that many kooks in the woodwork. I wish I had written a stagecoach drama starring John Wayne instead. And then, quite dramatically, he said, I wish I'd never been born. <laughs> I don't think anyone expected him to say that. <laughs> I wish I made a John Wayne film. I wish I'd never been born. It was such a dramatic turn. <laughs> the journalist would have been going, "Is everyone okay. alright, mate?" I guess I got a report that he said this. <laughs> While I'm wishing things. That's ridiculous. It's so funny and irrelevant. That's such a dramatic reaction. Just wish you'd never made the film. No, yeah. People didn't die. No. There was no bomb. It's okay. Oh, I wish I was never born. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to start saying it all the time. <laughs> Oh, they're out of tomato. Oh, I wish I was never born. (laughs) 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 Or saying it just really straight, like not just, I wish I was never born. (laughs) That's funny. I wish there was tomato sauce or I wish I was never born. (laughs) (sighs) So anyway, he's, he's had this idea planned in his mind just seeing a movie. Like, if he watched a different movie that day, it could have been a whole different plot. But anyway, he watched this movie. He had this plot in mind. Then he had to go about creating the bomb. He knew a guy called Francis Sorahan who worked at the Mount Isa Mines, I guess as a FIFO worker because he knew him in, in Sydney. And Sorahan sold Macari gel ignite and detonators for 100 bucks. The police had already realised that um, the bomb was made from parts from Mount Isa Mine, so they'd already been investigating people who'd worked there and that sort of stuff because these the particular Jagnite and de- detonators were only used at Mount Isa Mine, so it was easily traced back there. Right. right. But they still they hadn't got anywhere. They're, all their leads had gone cold. If it wasn't for that tip-off, it seems like... <laughs> the gas station guy yeah. unravelled this. Yeah. Unbelievable. Isn't that wild? Mm. Just because he, he couldn't help but buy... Multiple brand new cars. Yeah. And and go to the same service station. Oh. Yeah. I guess the way they were spending, eventually they would have slipped up. And it's exactly what uh, the police commissioner, Norman, predicted as well. He said, eventually they'll spend a bit too much. It'll tip someone off. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. Yeah. So, Soriano, he, he sold the, the gear for only 100 bucks. He was later arrested as an accomplice, but was acquitted um, when... It seemed like they believed that he didn't know what he was selling it for, even though it was stolen. 
and basically ex- and stolen explosives. explosives and detonators. Yeah. According to Schultz and Aiken, during the court case, Detective Sergeant McNeil revealed that Mr. Macari had told police he initially planned to extort a pan-American jet, but he switched the plan when he realized only a Qantas flight from Sydney to Hong Kong would be in air long enough for him to get away with the plan. So wow. that it was like the perfect amount of time in the air and, and whatnot. Uh, Pointing was jailed for seven years and Macari for 15 years, which was the maximum he could get, at Sydney's Long Bay Jail. But despite that, a huge stash of cash was still missing. Oh. Only $261,387 of the ransom money was ever recovered. In August that year, $138,000 of the cash in huge wads of $20 notes was found under a bricked-up fireplace in Annandale in Sydney's west in a house behind a disused shop. Uh, I think it was, I think the tip-off. Came from one of the tradies or something. So it had been freshly plastered over and everything. And then in 1972, Qantas made $17,500 from the sale of the extortionist cars. They had quite a little car collection going. The cars sold included two Morris Cooper S sports cars, an E-Type Jaguar, a Ford Falcon 351 GT, and a Chevrolet Camaro, as well as a transit van. They also sold the uh, suitcases used to carry the cash. <laughs> They really want every cent back. They were bought by a collector for 40 bucks each. They The combi van that was uh, stolen and used for the pickup, that was auctioned off as well. There's footage of the auction. It's real weird. It's, very, it's so awkward. The auction is so awkward. He, he starts off by saying, uh, welcome, uh, gentlemen and ladies. Um, sorry, I keep forgetting that there are also ladies here. <laughs> it's, so it's like he's doing a an awkward stand-up bit, but... Um, wow. Sorry, I keep I keep forgetting. I'm certainly not distracted by the, the pheromones <laughs> in the room. <laughs> what? Uh, and it's too end- many kneecaps I can see. I'm, I'm getting all hot under the colour. He's the attracted color. to kneecaps. <laughs> yeah, the sexiest bit of the knee. <laughs> the, ca- the cap. Oh, my God. There's a few caps out and about today. The guy who bought the the van, that van was a, a car dealer and he bought it just to show on his lot for, he bought it for more than he reckons he could sell it for, but he he thought the value in it would be that people would come to his car lot to, to see, see the, van. the van and then he was going to sell it to try and to make back some money a month later. Don't know how that worked out, but I loved it as a plan. Mm, it's good business. In 1973, $137,000 was found hidden in a Balmain house in Sydney's inner suburbs where Macari had hidden out in the days after the heist. In November 1980, Mr. Macari, after serving nine years of his sentence, was released and deported to England, ironically on a Qantas jet. Uh, He was wearing the same suit he was arrested in nine years before and he claimed he had nothing left from the fraud. But there was still a, a huge chunk of money missing. Apparently, the police thought that it was probably in uh, corrosion-proof safes in Bondi Beach in the in the water. And the article I read was like, "This is not very likely. Surely they would have put it somewhere that was more easily accessible." Mm. <laughs> you see, that you'd have to go deep sea diving yeah. on a popular beach. You'd have to be seen carrying safes to the yeah. beach multiple. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense. One of the yeah. most popular beaches in Australia. I don't think that's. Accurate. Uh, according to his obituary, after the bomb hoax, and that's I, I did know it was a little red herring there, the, the, the obituary about the pilot, but I, I knew what I was doing. Uh, no, anyway. I think I was joking that a man who was nearly 50 in the yeah, 70s yeah. is dead now. 
Yeah. He has died at some point he, since. A man from World War Two is dead. What? <laughs> oh, my God. After the bomb hoax, Qantas asked pilot William Selwyn to retrain as a pilot on the newly introduced 747s. But he decided that retirement was a better option and stopped work at the end of 1971. So he pretty much retired soon after this. Wow. At the age of 49. He was so close to retiring. (laughs) (laughs) He then moved to Bendigo in Victoria where he lived to the age of 87, having enjoyed nearly four decades of retirement. Nice. Uh, There was also a movie titled Call Me Mr. Brown released (laughs) in 1986. Did it have anything to do with this? (laughs) No, why? <laughs> no relation. Uh, it was directed by Scott Hicks and starred Chris Haywood. At the time, the director said, we still can't believe no one has thought to make a movie out of this story before. And I wonder if that's because the last time such a movie was made, it inspired multiple crimes. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Qantas tried to stop the film being made. You know, we're talking, joking about they never, they never seem to mention this. Apparently, they worked very hard to stop this movie Um being made channel 10 who invested a quarter of a million in the making of the film i think about a a quarter of the budget um in the end didn't even air it possibly because Qantas bought the rights to it and shelved it that's where i read somewhere they Uh, bought the rights to it and just played it on their planes (laughs) yeah we're very proud to be involved in this (laughs) aviation moment (laughs) but it is now available in full on youtube so you can watch it for free now. Have you watched any of it? I've seen bits of it. It looks all right, you know, for a lowish budget. 80s TV movie. 80s TV movie, yeah. Um, but apparently someone has since bought the rights and put it up on there so anyone wow. can see. Uh, less than a month after the bomb hoax, a pop song called A Certain Mr. Brown was released by Peter Hiscock and Festival Records Australia. It goes, it's to the tune of Click Goes the Shears. Why do they always use that same <laughs> tune for everything? And it, it tells a story. They the did idea. that for decimal currency as well. And But it doesn't, like, he still goes. <laughs> Write an original song. Instead of Shears, he says something different each verse, like, Click Goes the Tears, boys. Click. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. It was, uh, it's so, it's such an odd song. And the only comment on YouTube is, this is so bad, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Finally, I just want to show you what Mr. Brown looks like. Because you two, I mean, you thought thought that the mock-up was pretty good. But just have have another quick look. That's the (laughs) mock-up. Yes. Gorgeous. Yes. Beautiful. Believable. I'm swapping right. That's what he actually Nails looked it. like. Absolutely accurate. Yes. <laughs> In what way does he look similar he at all? Nothing like. He but, look- but you're right. They didn't do anything to the actual facial features. Yes. Which you had Maybe very if distinctive ones. Maybe that guy was smiling and and brushed his hair and had a mustache and glasses on. Then I think it would be same. He's got the a bit of the Tim Rogers about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that is the story of the 1971 Qantas bomb hoax. Great stuff. I- or bomb heist. I feel like. The Qantas have buried that story. Yeah. That's why we haven't heard it. They, I can't believe no, they, we hadn't heard that story at all. They we, bought the rights to the movie. They shelved it there. This goes all the way to the top. Yeah. Alan frickin' Joyce. <laughs> Joyce still. This is Joyce's work. And we've um, checked the tapes and it seems that Alan Joyce is speaking English. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's got a sort of a sense of kind of funny. We can't figure out, can't quite put our finger on it. <laughs> Uh, he's Irish for people who don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think he's pretty famous worldwide. Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> <laughs>
I've got there's a couple of quotes I didn't um, use in the report uh, from passengers after the flight talking about how they got sort of how they you know we're talking about if they figured it out or not yeah. what was going on. Mister Hawes recounted all the passengers helped in the search. We took the carpets off the floor. Oh. He conveyed that the stewardesses were very calm and were joking with the passengers, that there was no panic on board but a lot of tension. Mrs. Anna Leonardi and her two children were on their way to Rome to visit our relatives and she said, The children were scared, but not as much as me. I thought the object could have been drugs or a bomb. When she was, you know, she was right there. But I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be equally scared about a bomb on a plane or some drugs yeah, on no, a plane. If, when they find them, they're going to make us take them. <laughs> and I don't feel like it. <laughs> I'm and already you, coming down. I'm not in the mood. <laughs> you know, when you're being forced to take drugs, but you're not in the mood. Oh, please, come on. I wanted to get some sleep. You'll keep me up all night. And <laughs> Jess, I feel like you might, uh, what you were talking about. Is pretty close to what Mr. Charney said. He was travelling with his wife to Hong Kong and he said, no one took much notice, but when the search continued and lunch wasn't served, we began to wonder. (laughs) He then asked the steward what they were looking for. He said it was a nine-inch long object. I thought immediately of gelignite. Then half an hour before... That's us. (laughs) Then half an hour before we were due to land, they said there was definitely nothing on board to worry about. The last thing we expected to do tonight was to sit here in Sydney Airport and eat, Mr. Charney said, over a meal of steak and mushrooms. <laughs> I finally got that food. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what he was thinking about the whole I think, but yeah. Nine, nine inches. Gelignite. The what? hostess would be like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. This I guy's was, definitely in on it. I yeah. was sure. I mean, I was so used to anything inches related, men just going straight to penis, you know? <laughs> Nine inches. Oh, is that all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that sounds like they were, they were relatively chilled out about it. But, um, yeah, it's funny. He was like that half an hour before, which is when they got the actual all clear, he was like you could tell that there was nothing to worry about. <laughs> but also, yeah, it's like lunch hasn't come and he's like, the fuck is what going the on? What the hang on, lunch? But I love how also the passengers are helping rip up the yeah. carpet. That would be fun. Something for the kids to do. Yeah, I'll do it. The kids weren't as scared as me. I thought there could be drugs. My kids aren't scared of drugs. As soon as the kids thought that there were drugs when I told them, they started ripping up the carpet even harder. (laughs) They were tearing that place apart. (laughs) They were actually quite disappointed when it turns out that it was a bomb they were looking for. They are like, ah! I can't get high on a bomb. Yeah. Did you say bomb? Uh, so that brings us to everyone's favourite section of the show where we thank some of our fantastic Patreon supporters. If you want to get involved and support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash pod. Another way to support the show, of course, is just telling a friend. That's who right. Who you think might enjoy this. Grassroots promotion. That's it's right. all about word of mouth. Exactly. I heard that at the end of Dave's show at the Comedy Festival. He said, word of mouth is key. That's it's king. Mm-hmm. King. Absolutely. Please tell a friend about either my show or... My podcast. <laughs> yep. But if you do get involved at patreon.com slash pod, Jess, what are some of the things that uh, they can get involved with? Well, they get to vote on um, on topics that we do. They get to um, be a part of our Facebook group, the most beautiful and kind and lovely corner of the internet. So good. I organised uh, a little crew to go to Dave's show with some other patrons. Yeah. On one of his opening nights. Thank you so much. It was a lovely time. It was great hanging out with them after and having a beer and having a chat. 
so nice. Um, you There's three bonus episodes a month. There's so much good stuff. So jump on over to Patreon. Shout out to Penny, by the way, who told Dave and I the story that we're still talking about and cringing about. <laughs> Congratulations, Penny. In a good way. In a good way. Quite beautiful. an achievement. Lovely cringe. A beautiful cringe. Any story that involves Drazik <laughs> is okay by me. Uh, but the first thing we like to do is the fact, quote, or question section, which actually I think has a little jingle goes something like this. Fact, quote, or question. Ding. Always remembers the ding. She always remembers the sing. And the, the way this works is you sign up at the Sydney Scheinberg level or above, and then you get to give us a fact, a quote, or a question, or a brag or a suggestion, or really anything you like. And uh, first up this week, we've got one from Jess Green. Uh, they also get to give themselves a title, and Jess's title is ABC's Hard Quiz Live Champion. <gasps> As crowned by Tom Gleeson himself. Whoa. 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 We've had a few listeners be on the show, but I don't know if we've had a champion before. Dave, do, can you explain to international listeners what that show is? Hard Quiz. It's a show hosted by Tom Gleeson, and it's a comedy show where he is the host and he sasses the guests as he asks them each about a topic that they're an expert in. You might be a TV show. It might be the St Kilda Football Club, the history of... I don't know, Pablo Picasso. Someone did the St. Kilda Football Club once oh. and I would have, I reckon I would have got a third of them right. They were, they knew some they real knew specific so People stuff. get really yeah. involved and also the other people that you're competing against, sometimes they steal because they might know the, the yes. answer too. So. so you want it to be pretty niche. Mm. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's a tricky one to figure out. But see, it's, it's a cult show and at the end you get a mug if you win. Yeah, big, big brass mug. So congratulations, Jess, that's awesome. And Jess is asking a question, writing, I hope you're all well. So good to be alive. <laughs> My question is, what is, what was your favourite walkout song for your comedy shows? Ah. I'm seeing all of your shows in a few weeks' time, so I might know the answer before this question gets into an episode. Uh, my winning topic on hard quiz. Ah. Any guesses? Why would you know? Walkout songs. <laughs> Taylor Swift. Oh. oh wow. That's, there's a lot there. She's obviously got so many albums. Yeah. She said, so obviously mine has to be one of hers. Ready for it or the man would be would be my pick. Great choices there. Happy Melbourne International Comedy Festival to all who celebrate. Oh. And oh. to you too, Jess. <laughs> and to you, all who Jess. celebrate, yeah. Um, I have always, and I actually don't know if I will use it this year, but I've always used Obvious Child, Paul Simon. <laughs> I don't know why. I just really like it. It's got a fun drum beat. Um, and so now it's become like a little bit of an in-joke for myself that I just always use the same song. That's great. I love it. You just find something that works for you, the right vibe. You know? That's fun. That's great. <laughs> this year I've been walking out to Tom Jones' Sex Bomb. I feel like you go through, you you, you go towards Tom Jones a yes, bit, don't you? For our quiz show, my walkout music is uh, It's Not Unusual. Okay, oh, that's what I was thinking. Song. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have our quiz show walkout music as well, and mine's Dolly Parton, right? Baby, I'm Burning. What yes. a great song. And are you going to stick with Pantera this year, Matt? Which which song did I go with? Was it Walk? I believe it was yeah, Walk. Yeah, I think it's great, Walk. I mean, great walkout music, yeah. Walk. For my show this year, I'm using For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica. Um, because my show's called Ding. <laughs> nice. That's good. And I've recorded myself saying Ding over the Dings. That's fun. Well, we'll see how Matt, long it lasts. You're fun. <laughs> I think it's very fun. I think I, I used um, Cowboys from Hell by Pantera a few years ago. I can't remember what else I've used, but 
Yeah. I think it's like it's either a song that fits the theme or it's just a good song or it's just funny. It's a funny song. Mm. I think it's Sabotage by the Beastie Boys is another good walkout song. I've got a I've got a playlist that I have that I go to sometimes. Know Your Product I love as a walkout song. Wait, what's Know Your Product? That's uh, the Saints. Da, 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 the horns. Oh, cool. Yeah. Da, 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 da. All right. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I can see the appeal. Mm. It's a banger. Great question, though. Thank you so much, Jess. And congratulations question. on your win. Yeah, huge. And see you at our shows with whatever walkout music I end up choosing. You guys, have your shows have started. So... I've just looked it up, Matt. Last year for the quiz show, it was Cowboys from Hell. Oh, I went with that again. That is, it is a great song. Which is very funny. And then Jess walks out to Dolly Parton. It was a fun, it was a fun juxtaposition. Ooh. Great use of that word. Thank you. Mine's just a lot of cowbell. <laughs> Mine's cowboys, yours is cowbells. <laughs> Thank you, Jess. The next one comes from Sky. <gasps> This is the first time I've had a name that has had um, instructions on how to say it. It says Whispered. Oh, love that. And Sky is CEO of Remembering Names. Oh, my God. I need wow. you in my life. I'm so bad at remembering names. You are Anne Hathaway in The Devil Wears Prada. Yes, definitely. Could not agree am. more. Because Emily with- Blunt has a cold and is not feeling well and forgets somebody. Yes. And Anne Hathaway steps in and is like, this is who it is. Yes. Know what I mean? So, yes, Sky is Anne Hathaway. Yes. I'm Emily Blunt. That's right. Am I Meryl? You're Meryl. Thank you. And you're the devil, Jess. I'm Stanley Tucci. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't know that was an option. Dream. Sky is offering us a quote writing, Hi, Mark, Jen, and Derek. It's me coming at you with another quote by the effervescent Mark Banana of Auntie Donna. That is so funny. Here it goes, you frictionless piece of cum. <laughs> <laughs> is that the quote? Yeah. I love that. It says, please yell it at the end, but I don't know if that's part of the quote. <laughs> Am I meant to- Hang on. Am I meant to have yelled that all? So, these stage directions or part of the quote? You're right. Jess, you, you're a big Arnie Donna fan. No, I've, I've had a falling out with them. Okay. So, that, does that quote make sense to you? Come makes sense. Yeah, come definitely makes sense. That's right up there, Just alley. yell it again, but it channel mark. Be okay. a bit like wild. Yeah. <clears throat> Hi, Mark, Jan, and... Not the whole thing, I don't think. Just the, just the quote. <laughs> Hi, Mark, Jan. Oh, I see. <laughs> I thought the whole thing was a quote. No, but they're the CEO you- of Remembering Names and then they've immediately said our names all wrong. It's a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. I'm, it's me coming at you with another quote. <laughs> okay. You thought that entire thing I'm was a so quote. I'm so stupid. I mean, you, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You frictionless piece of cum. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of markish. <laughs> that feels right. Well done. Slightly squeaky. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for that, Sky. That was fantastic. And I'm sorry about everything. Sky. Sky. Uh, the next one comes from David Loring. David David has told me in the past how to sp- pronounce his name. I think it's David Loring. Okay. And David is the chief supplier of underwhelming funnies. Oh, and he's offering us a joke. I like how he set the expectations. If I am overwhelmed by this, or even just whelmed. And i got to tell you, I am easily whelmed and overwhelmed, <laughs> but not that easily underwhelmed. What, what, what film was that from where they go, Ten you know how you can be you. underwhelmed and you can be overwhelmed? 
but can you just be whelmed? Is that 10 things I heard about And that's the Julia Stiles' sister? Yeah. I think you can Alex in Mack. Europe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David Loring's joke is, what do you get when you cross a joke with a rhetorical question? What? Very good stuff. That's there. good stuff. <laughs> I'm whelmed. <laughs> and thank you very much, David. And the next one comes from Stephen Carter. Well... Scooby Doo can do do, but Stephen Carter is, is smarter. smarter. <laughs> I knew you went there straight away because I did too. And Stephen is the exposer of horrible lyrics that somehow make the song better. Oh, and it's a quote, and the quote is "Me not working hard." Yeah, right. Picture that with a Kodak, or better yet, go to Times Square, take a picture of me with a Kodak. Took my life from negative to positive, and I just want y'all to know that. And tonight, let's enjoy life. And that is, <laughs> as Stephen writes, by our Lord and Saviour Pitbull. Uh, wow! Thank you, Pitbull. I like how you rhymed Kodak. Uh, Kodak with Kodak. Yeah, I love a drop, a name drop of Kodak. Is that, is that Mr. Worldwide? That yeah. is Mr. Worldwide. Wow! Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to Mr. Rovalova, which is shaggy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what's going on? All right. The next thing we like to do is a few of our other great supporters. We shout them out. Jess somewhere has a bit of a game based on the topic at hand. True. Um, I, I, what about what they ordered for lunch on the plane? Yeah, great. Didn't come, but they ordered it. <laughs> yeah, well, Frictionless didn't come. <laughs> Uh, the first one comes from, if I may kick us off, from Pickerington in Ohio. Oh, God's country itself. It's Stefan Armentrout. Oh, Oof. my goodness. Got to be some sort of fish-based meal there. You would think that, and it is. Um, <laughs> we ordered the tuna. Tuna. Just can. Tuna ragu. A tuna ragu and a bread roll. Yeah. And um, I think for the dessert it was like a, a mini cheesecake with some berries. Yes. Oh, that sounds yum. And a little glass of Pinot. And the, the staff didn't know how to make a tuna ragu, or even if it's a real thing, they ended up just making a tuna mornay. That's right. <laughs> what a slap in the face. Which is that a real thing? I'm panicking over here. I don't know what any of that is. I've never eaten a meal in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stefan. The next one comes from Doha in Qatar. It's Great. Fahad Al Tani. Fahad, thanks so much. Is this our first Qatari shout out? I think so, yeah. I believe it could I be. I don't remember shouting out to Qatar before, so that's exciting. Awesome stuff. Um, very cool. What did um, Fahad have for lunch? A giant lettuce. Okay. With what is he, uh, some sort of a snail? <laughs> <laughs> covered in caramel. Caramel wow, lettuce. That- caramel lettuce, yeah. And did he request this? That's what there was. Unfortunately, it never, it never came out, remember. But this was the request. Oh, okay. Yeah, great. We have Fahad has uh, had a few fat quotes or questions through, but I don't because we don't say where they're from. We in didn't there. know you were from Qatar this whole time. Guitar. Very cool. So cool. Very cool. I hope. Uh, well, I, I wanted you to enjoy a giant lettuce covered in caramel. Maybe a bit of salt as well. Salt to caramel lettuce. Yum. Any sides or a dessert or anything? Or because oh, of the yes. caramel is that a dessert in itself? Exactly. Mm. It's a, it's a self sourcing dessert. Mm. It's nutritious and delicious. Exactly. The big two food groups. Um, unfortunately, it never came. Okay. So, Fahad was left a little bit hungry. That is disappointing. But back at the airport. Steak and mushrooms. Had steak and mushrooms <laughs> like everyone did. And finally from me, oh, from Address Unknown, can only assume from deep within the fortress of the moles, Ooh. it's Jack. 
Very mysterious. Jack, who are you, Jack? Who are you, Jack? Let us in. (laughs) Who's the real Jack? Jack? We're knocking on the door. We're saying, what do you want for lunch? What do you want for lunch? Open up. And Jack's saying, I'll have whatever everyone else is having. Don't worry about me. Caramel lettuce? Are you sure, Jack? Are you sure? I can make you a sandwich. And then Jack said that and gone, actually, no. Yeah. I I would like something else. I will specify. What else is available? Toasted cheese sandwich with some uh, potato fries. Inside the sandwich? No, just on the side. Okay, that's good though. Um, but then the whole plate is deep fried. That's right. So you can eat the plate. Yeah. You shouldn't, but you could. You could. You could. Yeah. Um, and then a and then just like a diet coke, which which um, balances it out. Air hostesses hate pouring. Apparently, they diet say don't coke order a diet coke. Yeah, because it like it it bubbles way more than the others. Really? Apparently. Never heard that. That's Never amazing. Never heard that. You got to get on TikTok. No, don't do it. That's why. You lose so much of your time. Can I thank some people? I'd love it if you did. I would love to thank from White Cliff, Witch Cliff, sorry, in Western Australia. <laughs> Are you, is that a question or? Witch Cliff. No, Witch Cliff in uh, Western Australia. I would love to thank Ash. Ooh, only a little bit more information about Ash. Still mm. not fully letting us in, Ash. What do they eat in WA? Well, I think they eat uh, the old Fremantle Dr. Peppers. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> Fremantle Dr. Pepper sounds pretty good. Yeah. So Ash Slightly just said- sea saltier? Yeah. Could I get a Fremantle Dr. Pepper? <laughs> and the Qantas staff just had to bluff their way through. They yeah. said, yes, of course. Because they're Queensland right up, and Northern Territory. They yes. don't know Western Australia. That's it's right. not Qantas, no. is it? <laughs> should have been. Should have been. Should have been. Yes, I, I could not agree more. It should have been Qantas. Quant- it simply isn't. Hmm. <laughs> You know, as they grew, they should have incorporated us all All of in. us. Quant vast. <laughs> Quant vast. <laughs> I forgot about New South Wales. They make it tricky New South Wales. Yeah, they ruin everything. Nisum. Um You just get an N in there, I think, would be okay. fine. New. Um, Double N. Uh, what about, because, uh, you know, like uh, Western Australia, beautiful beaches, mm. fish and chips on the beach. Oh, oh yeah. They love a Sunday session over there as well. Yeah, okay. So, along with the um, Dr. Pepper. Yeah, maybe a can of, of feral, some sort of feral brewing beer. Yep. And maybe a sundae. Maybe Biggie juice. Chocolate sundae oh, for yeah. the sundae oh, sesh. delish. Okay, great. Um, I would also love to thank from Bentonville in Arizona, Kyla Wilmoth. Kyla Wilmoth. That's an incredible name. That's a fantastic name. It's a journey and a journey I enjoyed, you know. Kyla, already nice. Wilmoth. Wilmoth. I like it a lot. Me too. Um, what did I'll, Kyla write? I'm going to do the entree. Jess, you do the mains. Great. Yes, we're great in a, in a triple whammy. Here we go. Entree of, what do you call What do you call those okay, beans, like wasabi beans or whatever? Oh, yeah. Edamame. Edamame. Mm. Some edamame followed by tomato soup. Wow. Wash down for dessert, three lemon ruskies. <laughs> <laughs> Keep them coming. <laughs> What a nutritious meal. Hell yeah. <laughs> Soup and then lemon ruskies. You're going to be pissing all night. <laughs> the edamame is the only solid. <laughs> there was a dinner roll with the soup. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. There's a dinner roll with the lemon ruskies. <laughs> Man, I love a dinner some roll. Some of those cheese and crackers. They'll soak everything up. You're all good. Um, and finally for me, I would love to thank from Address Unknown, we can only assume deep within the Fortress of the yep. Moles, Cat Para. Also fantastic name. Mm. Uh, for entree. Gonna have a bag of 
Latin Tangy Thins Chips. Oh, Yum. I love them. Love, love a Latin Tangy. Um, for Maine, there is a, um, a, a Napolitana pasta. <laughs> oh, pasta on a plane is good. I think the, yeah. best op- the best thing they do is pasta. And wash that down uh-huh. with a dessert nachos. Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure he knows what dessert is. <laughs> or how do you wash something down? <laughs> wash a very dry, it's dessert, dry crunchy possible. food. Yeah. It's when they cover, you know, sort of like a cinnamon-shaped, corn, uh, corn chip-shaped things with chocolate, ice cream and... Oh, okay. So it is a dessert. It it's is. a dessert nachos. Mm, okay. It really is. All right, I'll accept it. Cinnamon dusted. So instead mm. of salsa, okay. it's chocolate sauce. Yeah, person. instead of uh, sour cream, it's actual cream. Right. Oh. Instead of cheese, it's dessert cheese. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> okay. Dave, do you want to thank a few people? I would love to. I'd love to thank from Richmond in Kentucky, oh I believe God. this is. Is that Derby country? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I believe it is. And it's a big shout out to Brittany Baker. Brittany Baker. Brittany Baker, Baker from Richmond. Okay, in why don't we go the other way, Dave? You do. No, I want to do entree. Dave, you do main. Matt, okay. you do dessert because I think you have a better idea of what desserts actually are. <laughs> yeah, you've okay. been taken off desserts, Dave. Okay. I think is what's just happened. Okay. Okay, so entree. I'm sure he understands mains though. Entree, a tiny bag of nuts. Okay. Tiny bag. Okay, main. I'm going to go with a big bowl of chocolate ice cream. <laughs> 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 you are a menace. <laughs> and dessert. And for dessert. <laughs> to wash it down. <laughs> a six-pack of Calton Cold Shots. Oh. The, they were the briefly available shots? Calton Cold beers that also had a shot of vodka in them. Oh, wow. <laughs> they were no good. That's a terrible idea. That's full on. It would taste bad, but also you get so drunk. <laughs> so, so, so Brittany's having 12 drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany is getting carried off that plane. <laughs> thank you, Brittany. I would like to thank now from Tacoma in Washington. It's Isaac Herrigs or Herrige. Oh, oh, I hope it's Herrige. That's beautiful. Um, well, uh, Isaac is having for entree a um, Caesar salad. Caesar, okay. There's no joke for- in that. It's just just yeah. a salad. For a main, we're going for a small margarita pizza. Oh, yum. And Sorry. Sorry, that about that. Sorry about that. And I'm very hungry. Dessert, banana split. Yes. Oh, yum. With chocolate sauce. Yep. Sprinkling of nuts. Wafers. Yes. Marshmallows. Yes. Strawberries. Hell yeah. And some sort of flambe. I don't oh, know what that means. Go but off, it's King. getting involved. Hell yeah. Okay, that's the first like decent meal we've given. I feel bad for everybody else. What's a flambe? I don't know. They set it on fire. Okay, great. <laughs> Ice cream on fire. Yeah, great. That's fun. That's fun. And finally, I'd like to thank from Kensington, right here in Victoria, Myra Desmet. I, I don't want to overdo it, but this has been one of the best crops of <gasps> names we've ever had. I, but see, the people I know and meet in real life. Vanilla names. We never have these names. We've started with Stefan Armentrout and we're finishing with Myra de Smet. That's incredible. You never meet these people Where on these the street. Where do people come from? Kensington's not that far away. No, we Why aren't I meeting more interesting people? No, we're stuck, you're stuck with Dave Warnocky and Matt Stewart. Yeah. I can only assume if Jack would just let us in. Yeah. That his surname would be something like Hoppentrot or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strongest <laughs> man alive. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, word. it's French. What? Anyway, um, Myra. Kicking things off for an entree, um, Myra's going to be having mm, 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 a um, mac and cheese croquette. 
Okay, Ooh, fantastic. Okay. Followed up by a McDonald's filet o fish. Okay. They had too many, so they said, Qantas, do you want these? Oh, right. And, and they to finish them up, out. a crockenbush. Perfect. I forget what that is. Yeah. But I reckon it was something they did on Great Australian Bake Off one time. Big time. Yeah, oh. they definitely would have that done a crockenbush. So thank you so much to Myra, Isaac, Brittany, Kat, Kyla, Ash, Jack, Fahad, and Stefan. You are all so beautiful. And if you're anywhere near as beautiful as your names, oh, my God. I don't even think I'd be able to look at you. And now the last thing we need to do is welcome a few people into our Triptych Club. Now, Jess, you're very good at explaining what this is. I am. Thank you. Uh, the Triptych Club is an exclusive club where if you've supported us um, on Patreon, on what level is it again? It's so, on the... No, shout-out level. Shout-out level or above. Yes. For three consecutive years, you are inducted into this exclusive club where we've got... Bands playing. We've got drinks and snacks and uh, all sorts of wonderful things. You get to hang out. It's a beautiful place. I'm behind the bar. I'm preparing stuff for you. Dave books a band. Matt is on the door. He lifts the velvet rope and he welcomes people in. Dave hypes them up. I hype Dave up. Matt tears us all down. Whoa, hang on. But, you know, he thinks he's helping. and I'm helping. We keep saying it's not actually helpful. You're being pretty negative. I am helping is what I heard there. And, Dave, who have you booked for the band for the after party? Well, we've had a classic Australian story this week, classic 70s story. So we've got a classic 70s band that I've somehow booked. Obviously, I booked this months in advance, so it's just lined up just this way. We're welcome to the stage, The Angels. Oh, my God. Is that Angels? It is Angels. And are they... Are they playing with Doc fronting them? He has obviously passed on, and they're still going with Dave... Gleason, is it from Screaming Jets? Dave from- Gleason is banned from the venue. Is he? So Doc, Doc's in. we've got the classic lineup. The classic lineup. The that is very exciting. And just you've, uh, you what have you come up with cocktail wise this week? Um, cocktail wise, I am, I am building a, a, a bomb. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, but well, I'm asking about the cocktails now. It's. it's- <laughs> It's like a Jaeger bomb, mm. but it's better. Whoa. And I can't I won't tell you what bomb. the ingredients are because I'm still in the lab trying okay. to perfect it. Yep. Um, but I will be serving everyone's food in like aeroplane tray oh, yeah. kind of That's style. That's a beautiful touch. Just for, just for like a theme, just yeah. for a bit of fun. I love that. Yeah. But the, the cocktail bomb, it will be ready <laughs> shortly. I'm just, I've just got to clean up a bit of a mess I made. Is one of the ingredients Diet Coke? Yes. Diet Pepsi? And it's not, it's. It's pretty good. It's pretty it's good. <laughs> fit fizzes up. All right. So, are we ready to bring him in? Yes. Ready. Dave, you got the golden tonsils warmed up? Me, me, mamu. Ah, that's a yes. Jess, as a radio professional, how did that? How did that um, stack up to what you see? Insufferable. Yeah. Okay. And perfect for radio. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. I'd love to thank and welcome in from Havertown in Pennsylvania. It's Colin Campbell. No preamble. It's Colin oh! Campbell. Get him in. From North York in Ontario, Canada, it's Canadian Allison. Well, this week, your honorary Australian yeah, Allison. Welcome aboard, Cobba. From <laughs> Helston Park in New South Wales, Australia, it's Carl Setter. I will not settle, but I will setter. Carl Setter. Yeah, Carl Setter. From Oslo in Norway, it's Christian Nordheim. Let's move this night, Fordheim. Yeah. Let's keep it going, Christian. From Arlington in Virginia, 
In uh, the United States, it's Jason M. Jason M. M standing for my favourite Jason. My favourite Jason! From Carlisle in Great Britain, it's Maisie and Beth Wolby. Maisie and crazy Beth is the best. Woo! Both Wolby. <laughs> you make me feel Wolby. Me. <laughs> Does that work? You've from, done enough. From Yakult in... Uh, Washington in the United States, it's Ben T. Ben T. T standing for Ben, the best Ben I know. <laughs> you're a real, you're a real probiotic. You're cult. From Vancouver, I joined that cult. <laughs> yeah, from Vancouver in Canada, it's Josh Angle. Josh Angle, an anagram of Josh Angel. Oh. You're uh, my angel. Beautiful from any angle. From Manchester, I, honestly, for fuck's sake. In Great Britain, it's Tess Matthews. More like best Matthews. Best Matthews of the biz. From Verona in Pennsylvania in the United States, it's Kristen Kralik. In fair Verona, two star-crossed lovers, Kristen and Kralik. Yes! <laughs> star-crossed with themselves. From Maroubra in New South Wales, Australia, Maroubra. it's Lee <laughs> Parrot. Maroubra, Lee Parrot. <laughs> you are not a ferret. <laughs> Why are you on fire today, <laughs> From address unknown, can only assume from deep within the fortress of the moulds, it's Nathan Brown. Mr. Brown, <gasps> I assume. Oh, my Whoa. God. No wonder he's not giving us his address. Uh, from Romford in England, it's Jim Neal. I see Jim and I kneel down and kiss the ground he walks on. <laughs> Jim's feet. <laughs> from Leeds, 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 Leeds in Great Britain, it's A. Mason. Doesn't specify which. A standing for A. Fantastic Mason. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> From Madison in New Jersey in the United States, it's David J. Brimer. David J. Brimer, J standing for just my best friend, David <laughs> Brimer. <laughs> From Calgary, home of the Stampede in Canada, it's Harrison Willing. I am willing to let you into this club to start the party. Come on in. I'm hot for you, Harrison uh, Willing, sh- like Matthew. a Calgary Matthew, flame. you did a good one. From Middlefart in <laughs> Denmark, it's Mikkel Henze Peterson. Mikkel, they ain't fickle. It's Mikkel <laughs> Henze Peterson from Middlefart. Let's say it again. <laughs> from, sorry, that's it. I'd love to thank for, uh, Mikkel, Harrison, David, A, Mason, Jim, Nathan, Lee, Kristen, Tess, Josh, Ben, Maisie and Beth, Jason, Christian, Carl, Canadian, Allison, Colin. Woo! What, what, a, what a crop. What a crop. Bloody hell. What Thanks a beautiful everyone. crop beautiful, that was. Beautiful, gorgeous crop. Welcome what a sexy clubs. crop. Oh, this crop is sexy. Oh, Grab my God. yourselves a bomb and get ready <laughs> for the stylings of the angels. Mm. You're all angels in our hearts. Are you still trying to take over Dave Singh? And that brings us to the end of the episode. I agree, though. They are angels. <laughs> what do we need to tell them just before we send them off? Uh, if you would like to suggest a topic, you can do so. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. It's also on our website, which is dogoonpod.com. You can find us on all social media at dogoonpod. And uh, I, I don't know when this one's coming out, but we have some shows on. Come see them. Come see us. Dave, now boot this baby home. We'll be back next week with another episode, Rain, Hail or Shine. But until then, I'll say thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Later. Bye. Yeah, Rain, Hail or Shine because, like, weather doesn't really impact podcasts that much. Do you know what I mean? Like, if, yeah, it could be raining outside and it doesn't really matter. Bit negative, Jess. I'm trying to support Dave. And here we go, just <laughs> gaslighting him. I'm going to kill you. Gasbagging him. Sandbagging him. I love you all. Bye. See, this is why I like I 
I get uncomfortable as soon as I'm regular enough at a cafe that they're like, skinny latte? I'm like, well, I've got to go. <laughs> right. I'm never coming back here again. Yes. Have I said this on the podcast before? I was telling someone this yesterday when I uh, went to the fish and chip shop near where I used to work. And I went, I went. I reckon I went there once a week, once every couple of weeks. But I went in there and the guy said, Dave. And wow. I said, oh, you remember my name? And he goes, of course I do. You come in here every day. <laughs> And I was like, what? we call you, we around these parts, we call you Everyday Dave. <laughs> well, you just lost yourself a customer because I was too embarrassed to ever go back again. Yeah. Oh. I definitely didn't go in every day. No. And you haven't been, you, it's where you used to work. You haven't been in there for quite a while. Yeah, that's right. I will not be going You're back. here every day, Dave. I saw you yesterday. <laughs> I there's think there's another day that looks, like day. looks like me. But there's only one cafe near work that um, is open on the weekends. So you have to go in. So I go there and I work weekends. And they have to, and they know, oh, it's weekend jazz. I know. And the problem is they all of their like baked treats and, and, and little sweet stuff is all gluten-free, which is great because my colleague is celiac. So part of our like Saturday- Beautiful, beautiful- <laughs> For a boy or girl. <laughs> Part of our Saturday routine. But why does she need to be gluten free? <laughs> Part of our little Saturday ritual routine, because we both work together on Saturdays, is I get us these little um, gluten free gingerbread people, and it's a delicious little treat. But now they know that I come in and I get an ice latte and and gingerbread every time, and so I'll order the coffee and they're like, and the gingerbread, and I just feel like they're not both for me. <laughs> ah, and I, but I, I have to keep going. That's funny. I think I. Definitely understand that, but I would only feel that when it's a place that I feel shame about eating there. You know, yeah. if it was like fast food or something. Yeah. But at a cafe, getting a coffee, I'd, I'd kind of enjoy that. Yeah, you're I'm right. A, maybe not enjoy strong, but I'd be, you know, it'd be nice to mm. if they're nice anyway. Yeah, maybe I need to reframe. Well, I don't, I don't know. Or maybe only one of them has ever made that comment of any gingerbread today. The others just go, mm-hmm, yep, and put it through. Right. But I still feel the need to justify. Like my, so once they're for my colleague. Um, she, it's a treat we have. We work weekend. Oh God, I <laughs> <laughs> just spiral. I think maybe I'm just realizing I have inappropriate relations uh, with some uh, cafe people. Sometimes yeah. I remember when we, me and Evan and a few others here at Stupid Old would. At the old studio, mm. we'd regularly go to this cafe at the end of the street. And when the person who was our regular and was so nice, they were leaving, we made them a card, <laughs> a going away card and <laughs> no, stuff. No, that's nice. And the, Yeah, I don't know. That was nice. That place had a tally on the wall of Evan and Matt of how many like how many coffees you'd paid for or whatever, wasn't it? Or owed or something like that. Something like that, yeah. They, they, were, they were so nice. But, I mean... A card is I, nice, but don't doesn't that make you feel weird? If wouldn't that be the equivalent? If you were there, you'd be like, you would have have left there long ago. Oh, yeah, probably. But be- no, but before I think- your name was on the wall. <laughs> yeah, I would have. But that's I think that's sweet. Do you remember in Dublin, Matt just starts talking to the guy about how beautiful his eyes were? Oh yeah, I couldn't <laughs> believe no one else had noticed. <laughs> I've never noticed. seen eyes like those. <laughs> I've never seen eyes that blue. <laughs> I forgot all about that. Oh, oh wow! So but good. you were both like you were sort of agreeing with me, but then after you're like, I, I didn't seem that. No, he had he had nice blue but eyes. But imagine if we'd said, "No, that shit house." But he was like, "He's like, no one's ever said that before." Yeah. I'm like, "You're kidding me!" <laughs> <laughs> that was very good. What a fun detour there. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.